Good morning, City Life Church. Good morning, City Lifers. Welcome back. One more week. And uh, visitors, let me just first take this instance to welcome you. Uh, so grateful that you're here. Uh, what, we talked about this in the announcements, but somewhere in this page, there's a section called Notes. And in that notes, there's this link that says, I'm new. And I just want to encourage you to hit that button because we want to get to know you. We want to be able to invite you to the things that we do. We want to be able to get you plugged into our community because that's what we love doing is pursuing God with everything and doing it together. And so let me encourage you to do that. I've been talking to people recently like saying like, oh, we've been coming to the church for a few months online. And I'm like, that's great. I'm really happy. But let's connect a little sooner than a few months down the line. And so let us know that you're here. We want to invite you. That's the motive of why we ask you to connect with us. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Pedro Reese. I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, we love this place. And we want to, uh, I want to start today by talking about this show that my wife, Anna, and I have been watching lately. It's called The Morning Show, and uh, it's a really well-done show. Every time I leave an episode, I leave saying, like, wow, like, there's some real serious adults working on this. this. They're not playing around. They're not holding any punches. But the other thing that I leave this show with all, all the time is like I leave with this sense of being really heavy. I know that this is just a show, right? But it has to be grounded in reality somewhat. Like this has to be a known struggle by people in these fields, right? And uh, I leave because I just, I, sometimes I feel dizzy as well because I see these people fighting so much for like these limited spots and these limited roles of power and these limited opportunities and all these people are like doing everything that they can to achieve achieve something that very few people will and they're so ambitious and they're going after it and I watch the show and there's so much politics happening and if there's one thing that like God has not made me to withstand is when we play political games and I'm not talking about politics and government because that's really important to be informed and a good citizen, right? But like these, the politics, when it becomes a game, when it becomes a power struggle, when it becomes pitting people up against one another to get your will, to get what you want to see happen. And I'm like, man, God has not made me to be able to withstand in these, play, these types of environments. All of the fighting, all of the agendas, all of the power moves, all of the different motives that go into, and I'm watching this show and it's really well done, but I'm also like, my pastor's heart hurts when I watch this because I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm tired even looking at this. I feel like I'm going in 10 directions even from just watching this fake show. And also the funny part of it is that I'm like, really, all of this for a morning television show? Like, maybe I've missed the memo Maybe morning shows are really culturally important in a way that I never really appreciated. But like I see everything that's happening on the show and I'm like, really, guys, like a morning television show? Like I'm pretty sure that most people watching these shows are in the hospital or in a nursing home or in an airport or some waiting room. But maybe I missed the memo on that. I'm not quite sure. Let me know if you're just like, Pedro, yeah, it's actually really important because mm, that would surprise me. But I, I watch this show and I see all of these people doing this for a morning show, but I see them like corporate espionage and millions and millions of dollars being poured into these. I see the drugs and the emptiness and the sadness and the longing and the blind ambition and the lack of sleep, the lack of boundaries, the lack of healthy relationships and all the abuse that goes on top of all of this that's happening. And I'm like, man, 
like, oh goodness, all, number one, all of this for a morning TV show, but I'll, I'll get off of that box right now. And I'll say all of this, and what people put themselves through because of ambition, because of drive, because they have these goals, is, is quite mind-boggling to me. But it's also made me think a lot about pastoring a church in the New York City area. And I wonder how many of us in our church are, are visiting today. I wonder how many of us who don't know Christ yet and are searching who might be listening here. And I don't know how many of us who are seasoned believers and we still feel like we are being pulled in a million different directions all at once. Like all of these motives, all of these ambitions, all of this agenda, all, everything that we want to see happen and achieve in our lives. And it's like pulling us in all of these different directions, all at the same time. How we want a million different things and how many of those things conflict with one another, but like we don't want to let any of it go. I wonder how many of us feel like uh, we're managing all these different parts of our lives. Like our lives feel so compartmentalized. And I, I, I've been watching this show and I wonder how many of us are like, I don't want to give any of this up. I've worked so hard for what I've achieved. I don't want to let go of any of it, but it's, it's like I'm slowly dying inside. Or like, my life is way too full and I'm going in all of these different directions and I'm not sure how they're going to reconcile together. I'm not sure how my life becomes one life that I get to live because I feel so torn. I wonder how many of us are, feel like we're constantly juggling all these different areas of our life. Keeping all of these balls up in the air and moving and active and not forgetting about all any of one of them and all these balls at the same time and we're not letting to let any one of them fall. And I, I like wonder that there are people in our church that make it look so easy to be so active, to be on the board of this, to be having this high profile job, to be climbing and getting promotions and still seeing my friends and but like I wonder how many of us look, make it look so easy, but in a real intimate space, we're dying inside. And I also wonder how many of our church, like we've been taught to want all of these things, to go after all of these things, and we're trying to juggle, and we're trying to juggle, and we're constantly dropping the ball here and dropping the ball there, and we just constantly, because we buy into all of this struggle, we're constantly feeling like failures. I wonder how many of us even feel like we're juggling different parts of who we are. That we so compartmentalized us and the things that we do that you have to actively think, okay, this is me here, this is me at work, this is me with college friends, this is me with church people, this is me with other believers, this is me with someone I know isn't, this is me with my spouse and I can't get that confused with my coworkers and all this and I wonder how many of us are trying to even juggle who we are up in the air all the time. And equally as important, if not more, because Christ loves our whole being, I wonder how many of us feel like even faith in Jesus is another thing, another duty, another ball that we just have to keep up in the air. We have to keep it moving. I can't drop the ball on this one. But I wonder how many of us reduce a life and a relationship with Christ 
as just another thing to do, another thing for, to take up more time that I don't have, another thing to feel like I'm constantly failing at, another ball to keep up in the air. And I also wonder how many of us honestly say that that ball, that Jesus ball, that following Jesus ball is also the most neglectable one. Saying like, Lord, I don't have time right now and because I live under your grace, you don't understand. Or like, oh God, like I know you want all of me, but like wait until I get this promotion in five years and I'll have more time for you. So let me set you aside here. Let me put you aside. I'll even put you in this beautiful box right over here to get back to. And I honestly and urgently want to get back to, but I just can't right now. I'm putting the Jesus ball down. And today, because Jesus loves us, because Jesus so perfectly ministered to us, he went on a hillside two, over 2,000 years ago, and he preached to us because he knew that this wasn't a modern problem, but it was actually a human condition problem. And he preached a, a loving, graceful, and also challenging message of blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And he went up on this hillside and he preached that sermon because he loved us. And again, he said, blessed are those who, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That you are truly blessed, you are truly satisfied, that you are made whole. And if we can borrow from the metaphor we've been using for a few weeks now, that you are like a full cup, you are this full cup, when you are sincerely living for one thing. That thing being to know God and to be known by Him. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That you are blessed when you want to live for God and put Him above everything else. And the result of that will be that you will see Him all over your life like you never have before. And so let's dissect that today. Let's jump into that today. What does it mean to be pure in heart? What does it mean to be sincere in faith? What does it mean to will one thing? What does it mean to pursue Jesus with everything that we have? How does that challenge us to our core? And so let's pray and then we'll read God's word and we'll dive right on in and see like, Lord, what, what are you telling me about my character here? And let me open myself up to you. And so let's invite the Holy Spirit to be with us here today. Jesus I thank you for this day, and I thank you for your grace. I thank you that you are merciful. I thank you that you are so good to us. Lord, we, we pray that your presence would be with us, Holy Spirit, that you'd be with now me now with the preaching of your word, and then with the implementing of your word and the hearing of your word and letting your word change us in an intimate way, in, in our very character, Lord. I just pray that you'd be all over this this morning, all over us, all over our church, and all over the people who hear this to say, like, Lord, uh, that we will will ourselves to want one thing, and it's you above everything else, that you don't settle for less. So, Jesus, be with us, empower us, and uh, be gracious to us as you mature us and deepen our faith and walks with you. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, church. So let us read from God's Word, where we have been for the last several weeks. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 8. God's Word says this. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. 
Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So today we are back in our Beatitude series. We are on Beatitude number six. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And this week we're going to start where I start my study in every single one of these weeks. I get to this, I open up the Bible, and I start reading, and I say, Lord, what is it about my character? Does this be attitude call into question, or well, which one are you calling to mature, or which one are you calling me to just like say, like, Lord, work in this in my life? And the thing that we have to acknowledge, the first place that Jesus even starts here, the thing that makes this so great and so loving, is that God won't settle for anything less than your entire heart, and so let's start by talking about your heart. To me, it's the most appropriate place to begin dissecting what this beatitude is really getting at. You see, Jesus could have started this beatitude in any way. He could have said, like, blessed are you when you are pure in your attitude, pure in your behavior, pure in your motives. He could have said a million things, but he said, blessed are you when you are pure in heart, because Jesus is speaking to our hearts. This is what makes this a human problem and not just an old-time problem or not just, oh, I'm going to preach this and in 2,000 years it'll be pretty relevant. No, but Jesus is speaking to our hearts, to you, to the deepest part of what it means to be you, to be a person created by God. I read this by a pastor and I, I thought it was appropriate this week. It says, So the heart is utterly crucial to Jesus. What we are in the deep private recesses of our lives is what he cares most about. Jesus did not come into the world simply because we have some bad habits that need to be broken. He came into the world because we have such dirty hearts that need to be purified. See, Jesus isn't coming into the world to condemn us. He could have done that from heaven. He knew that we were broken before he ever came down. He created us. He was with us when we fell. Like He was there. He saw it all. And so he's not coming down here to just yell at us, but Jesus is coming down here to speak to our hearts. Everything Jesus ever did was speaking to our hearts, was trying to bring life back into our hearts to restore the Old Testament promise where God gave us that he would give us new hearts that were working properly. And the heart is like, the Bible continues to talk about the heart because the heart is the most central part of who you are. It's like the seat of your whole being. The heart is all of your motives, all of your feelings, all of your emotions, all of yourself, your soul. It's, it's all in the heart. It's captured in the heart. And so Jesus is saying like, Blessed are you when you are pure in heart because he loves your heart and he calls your heart to beat the way that it's supposed to. See, the Beatitudes, and the whole Sermon on the Mount, everything that Jesus did, the whole gospel, but the Beatitudes intimately and like really specifically demonstrate that Jesus deeply cares about who you are, about your character, not just what you do. He's not like some of us had, had parents who would say things like, hey, stop, you're, stop doing that, you're embarrassing me. Like, we don't act that way, our family doesn't act that way. Some of us were told that. Some of us were given behavior modification as the gospel. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He speaks to your heart today. He speaks to your heart in the Beatitudes. Yeah, it is true that once Jesus has your character fully, then your behavior will change. But that's not the same as behavior modification, right? That's not Jesus trying to change you just to impress other people. But it's the, this God who is so concerned about your heart and what's good for it. 
that he starts to speak us there, starts to speak to us there. And Jesus speaks to our hearts so that he can bring relief to us. Now, with my son Ryan, when he is not listening to me, going back to our metaphor from before, when he is going in a hundred different directions all at the same time, and I don't want him to get hurt, or I just really want him to listen, I do this thing with him that Anne and I, my wife and I, we both do this with him. We say, Ryan, come here and hold my face. Ryan's my son, by the way, not the worship pastor. Ryan, come, come hold my face. And he comes up to me into my space, a couple inches from my face, and he holds me, and he looks at me. And when he looks at me, I know I have his attention. And I speak to him, and, and then he really listens to me. And this beatitude, all the beatitudes, but this one especially, I hear Jesus like holding onto our hearts and saying, listen to me. You're blessed when you're pure in heart, and you'll see me a little more clearly. And so what does it mean to be pure in heart? Let's talk about it right now. One of the things that I absolutely love about Scripture, about what God did in this amazing book, written over hundreds and hundreds of years, written by many, many, many different authors, is that it's like constantly defining itself. It's the only thing in our faith that we say works on a circular knowledge, right? A circular um, knowledge, a circular reasoning. It explains itself all the time. And we get one of the first and probably the best definition of what it means to be pure in heart in Psalm 24. All the way back in Psalms, it says this, starting in verse 1 to verse 6, it says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established upon the rivers. He made it all. He is so big and he is so glorious. And we start to get the definition here. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? And who can stand in his holy presence? Who's good enough, right? Who's pure enough? And he starts to tell us, like, he, he's saying, who is this? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. And we're told what it is here. Who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the Lord of Jacob. And so pure in heart, according to this Psalm 24, has to, is, these two, is this two-pronged definition. It's this person who does not lift up his soul to what is false, who does not live, make the one thing, the thing that he lives for, anything other than God. Because anything other than God, to dedicate your whole being, your whole life, your, all of your ambition, all of your strength, if that's not given to God, it's given to something that's false. And so here, the first one is, blessed are you, like when your one thing in life, the one thing that defines who you are, that defines what you do and your passions, everything about you, the deepest parts of what makes you most intimately you, if it's raised to anything other than God, then we're missing it. And the second prong here is that those who do not swear deceitfully, who, who doesn't know anything about falsehood, who, who isn't a deceiver, who isn't a liar, who lives a straightforward life, a straight life. Not knowing what deceit is, not being a part of it, not being a part of playing games or power moves, but living this straight light. Life. And I, I love all this and how it comes together to build this life. You know what that God's saying? The, per, the person who is pure in heart is an honest person, lives an honest life, is not a trickster, 
is not a liar, is not a deceiver, but lives this straight life. It's not false or fake or flaky, but it has a single-minded devotion to know God and to be known by God and to not be a liar. Single-mindedness to live for God above all else. And I, I like all of these pictures, and I, I, I like how the, this two-pronged definition works. It, it makes a lot of sense, especially in the context of the Beatitudes and of the human heart. But if I had to pick one word that to me like really resembles what it means to be pure in heart, if I had to sum it up in one word, I would choose the word sincerely. Uh, I read this from, a, from another pastor this week. It says this, So the pure in heart are utterly sincere. Their whole life, public and private, is transparent before God and men. Their heart, including their thoughts and motives, is pure, unmixed with anything devious, ulterior or base. Hypocrisy and deceit are abhorrent to them, and they are without guile. I love how this, this picture of being utterly sincere, utterly straightforward, single-mindedness uh, is, is this picture of being pure in heart. Not being torn in all of these different directions as being what defines you, what guides you, what makes every one of your decisions. No, but it's, it's this like love of God, of living this one life dedicated to one thing, of following the Lord. I love how this picture comes together in Scripture and is like continued every time talks about being pure in heart. But one thing that this does not mean, one thing that I, I can hear people saying, like, oh, but like to make God my one thing, like I'm going to turn into a robot or I'm going to turn into a computer. Like it, and I just want to say, you know, having this one thing, being, making Jesus your single-mindedness, your your one direction in life, the thing that encompasses everything of who you are and what you do and what you care about, it doesn't mean that we are all going to become monks, right? It doesn't mean that we're all going to leave the world like the Amish. We're not going to have like some tax-exempt life where we (laughs) find some compound somewhere and live separately apart from everyone else, where we leave the worries of this life behind. It's not anything of that. It doesn't mean stop being ambitious. It doesn't mean stop wanting goals in your life. It doesn't mean like go after that promotion in your job because it's like because that would be amazing for you. It doesn't mean any of that. It doesn't mean stop being goal oriented. It doesn't mean hey, you need to quit your job right now and you need to come to work at City Life for free or else you are not a good Christian. Though we always do have unpaid internships if uh, anybody wants some. But it doesn't mean all of that. I love how this comes together. It's like, you know what? Your one thing can be God, whether you're in corporate America, whether you're in a nonprofit, or whether you have some job in between, or whether you like, feel underemployed and are still trying to chase after what you want. Like, you, are, you can still be this blessed and pure of heart. It does mean, however, that we give God room to determine everything in our lives, of who we are and what we do. That we take our ambitions underneath him and say, like, Lord, I have all of these desires. What can I chase after? What should I chase after? What's good for me? What have you blessed me to do? What have you skilled me to do? Because we need people who believe in Jesus in corporate America. We need people who believe in Jesus in other parts of the world. It's not all about huddling in the church. 
but taking all of these things to him and saying like, Lord, I put this under the one thing, which is my pursuit of you. Is this what you have for me? Is this what you've skilled me for? I have this talent. Did you give this to me because I should be using it here? I was like, Lord, like, uh, I'm tired of being pulled in all of these millions of directions. I'm so tired of that. I'm tired of having all these things be equally as important. I want to bring them all under the umbrella of chasing after you and letting you pick things out that should die, that should be let behind. And I want you to elevate the things that like, yeah, do a great job working at your job. Yeah, chase after that promotion. Yeah, be friends with your college friends still because I want you to be. Or like, yeah, pour yourself into this group of people. Or spend this next season really investing in city life because they need you. It's like, Lord, help me determine what are the things so that I'm not going in a million direction, but I'm chasing in your direction with what you've put ahead of me. Like, God, is it okay for me to chase this? Do you want this in my life? Like, even, even to the point of like, God, do I have your permission to buy that house or chase after that other job? Do I have your permission to join the board of that organization? Like, is that something that you've brought to me, or should I say no to it? And I know that for some people listening to this, that will already be a major stumbling block. You will already be like, <laughs> the only person in my life who decides what I have and what I do is me. And the question I'll just ask to you is, does, do you have the peace in your life where you are living for the right things? Do you have that peace that is unexpressible with words where you know that you're chasing after something that's real? Does that thing really fill you? Doing, it the way, doing your life the way you have been, has it brought you to wondering and to searching because it's, not, it's proven to not be enough in your life? Because we believe that when God is the one thing that we are chasing, then we are blessed and filled. And if he is not that one thing, we are like the people in that in the morning show who are chasing and fighting. And when they're intimate and when they're honest, they are broken and they are tired and they know that they don't want to do it any longer, but they can't give it up. And so this idea of being pure in heart is that you are single-mindedly and sincerely putting God above everything else in your life. When living for Him replaces all other things. Not that they take away all other things from your life, right? We're not going to become monks in the desert somewhere. But then everything gets put under God, and God can sift things out of our lives that He is not putting into it. And so that's really challenging for some. But then let's look at the promise that we get in return. Like the benefit of practicing purity in our hearts. Let's talk about seeing God. Another way that I've read this week that I really enjoyed the single-mindedness, the single-minded pursuit of God, is that we become people. When we are pure in heart, that means that we uh, will one thing. That we will one thing in our life. That this one thing is what defines us and everything that we do 
And that really like gives us the boundaries to care about everything that we should be caring and going after. That this one thing, that to will one thing is to will this relationship with God and to put Him above everything else. And so what is the one thing that you are willing in your life that like determines everything? For some of us, it's family. For some of it is career, financial stability, of being comfort, comfortable, and of having generational wealth, like just feeling secure in our money. But God says that He needs to be the one thing. That He needs to be the one thing that our hearts singularly want above everything else. And that once that's the case, once we like say, God, work in my character, I know I don't want this. I know I'm not here. And honestly, none of us will be perfectly pure in heart until we meet Jesus face to face. But it's like, Lord, like, I don't know how this work is going to get done in my heart and in my character, but I want this because I also want to see you. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, in the love chapter, recited at 90% of weddings, uh, is, is addressing love. But I love the way that Paul writes this talks about seeing dimly. Like, I think it paints such a nice, lovely picture. Let me find it here. Of like how we see God a little bit more clearly. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12 says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. I love how Paul is able to capture that on this paper, right? That in this life, we all see dimly. In the context of here, if we don't love, then like we're just a noisy gong. But how like Jesus can come and help us to see more clearly. And the promise of this beatitude is that we'll see him. What I get from this is that like, yeah, I know the human condition is incomplete. We cannot see the Lord. We are poor in spirit and that keeps us from seeing But if we make Him the one thing in our lives, we will see Him in our lives like we never have before. We will see Him as our intimate Father who loves us, who cares for us, who empowers us, who performs miracles for us, who does all of these things to take care of His children, to empower His children, to talk about Him. And then we see Him at work in our lives and what He is capable of. And man, like it is so beautiful when we start to see like, God, you've been in my life all this time. I've just been missing you because I haven't made you the one thing that I'm looking for. And the promise here is that we'll see him. But what do we see? Like, what's the promise? Like, well, I don't think I'm going to like see God in the corner of the room, though. That might happen. I don't think that's what really he's talking about in most circumstances. And so like, Lord... How do I see you? How do I see you in the intimate times of my life? How do I see you when you're moving? How do I know that you're like willing this one thing that is good for me? I don't even know what to look for. And so today I want to talk about two things really quickly. I know we're pressed up against the time. But the first thing is like, God, I I think that part of seeing him more clearly is that we will be people of presence who know his presence and know when it's there. And know what he's doing. Let's talk about two aspects really quick of his presence. The first is that when we, acknowledge, when we are like aware to know God's presence, that he is there with us, that we see his glory. That we see his power, his immensity, that somehow he is able to take 
all of this into account and bring it all towards redemption. Like, Lord, you are so much bigger. Your glory is so much more awesome than I could have ever thought. And then we'll see like these divinely appointed times in our lives when he's doing amazing things. And we're like, when with if you're in a boardroom meeting or if you're in a hanging out with your friend at the coffee shop, like you'll see him, you'll see his glory. And when it comes to do something special, we'll see miracles happen. We'll see healings happen. We'll see like if we're people of presence, if we're people to who know his glory, we'll see casting out of demons. We'll see amazing things. We'll see people breaking free from addiction. We'll see ourselves accomplishing things that we had never thought was possible. And it's all because of his glory and what he does in us. And we'll also not only see him in the highest of highs, but we'll also see him in the lows when we're mourning or when we're with people who are mourning. And when they get a glimpse of his glory, the kind of redemption and the kind of merciful work that God's spirit is able to do is incredible. And all of that is tied to his glory because his glory is amazing. Then the second part of being a part of his presence is that we have these shared experiences. That like, yeah, this life, the way God designed this, the way scripture talks about knowing God is that it is never a purely intellectual knowing. Like, yeah, we're supposed to read his word. We're supposed to read the Torah and the, and the prophets and the New Testament. We're supposed to know this. And you should be growing in your knowledge of scripture every day of your life. But, but even that, but scripture alongside of with this intellectual knowledge is this heart knowledge that's rooted in experiences. Of like, yeah, like I can practice your presence because I've seen you at work. I've seen you doing these things. Everything that I've ever read about you, I, I see at work. And it's because I get to see you a little bit more clearly in my life now that I've made you my one thing. If you are my one thing, that I'm looking for you in everything and then I see you a bit more clearly. And I'm not being torn in all of these directions or chasing after all of the wrong things, but I have the freedom to see you and the things that you put in front of me, the things you tell me to say yes to, and even the things you tell me to say no to. We're already pressed for time, but let's conclude this a little bit. Let's talk about this conclusion in, in, Ma- in Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5 is the very beginning as I, th- I think my favorite story in all of Scripture, it speaks to me like not many other passages are able to consistently. In Matthew chapter, in Mark chapter 5, sorry, I keep saying Matthew. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus gets off a boat. And immediately this man who was, had a, he was demonized comes running up to him. And the demons are like, what are you doing here? Like, please don't do anything to us. And Jesus is having this conversation with him. And we learn that this, that this man, because of what's going on inside of him, he's super strong, right? Chains can't hold him. Uh, shackles, he breaks them off very easily. And then in verse 5, we, hear, uh, we learn that this man sleeps in a graveyard. And, and night and day, he's screaming and he's cutting himself. Like, just think about how torn up this man must have been, how... All of these spirits, everything happening internally in his heart, inside of him. He was being ripped to shreds in all of these different directions, consistently, all the time, until he meets Jesus. And until Jesus casts out the demons. 
right? Jesus sends the demons into this herd of pig of, of about 2,000 pigs. And these pigs jump into a lake and they drown. And already that's like an insane story for us modern people. We want to reject that completely. We, we just want to like, oh, great story, Jesus. Like, no, but... And then the thing that most shocks people, they, they see all these, and they, these dead pigs and they come to Jesus. And the thing that really awestrucks them is that they see this man who they all knew, and they all knew how crazy, how unpeaceful he was, how strong he was, how out of control he was. And it says in verse 15, it says, And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. I think that that is so meaningful for us to see, because this man who was so torn, who was so split, who had 2,000 demons raging a war inside of him. He met Jesus, and the, the result was that he was in his single mind. He was sitting there, and they were so amazed that this man was single-minded, was under control, was himself again. And it made them afraid. And I think that that's just such a beautiful picture of what it means to be pure in heart. Single-minded devotion to the Lord. Putting Him above everything else and saying like, God, I, I want you to dictate my whole life and my whole being and the things that I care for. I'm so tired of being pulled in all of these different directions. I'm so tired of the rat race and being told what's important. I'm so tired and I like, feel like I'm being torn apart that my life is being lived by what people tell me to do instead of what I think I should be doing or what I want you to tell me to do. And so there is this peace that comes over us when we say, like, Lord, make me pure in heart, single-minded. Make me not raise myself up to anyone else but you and help me to not be deceitful but be an honest, sincere person. Because I also want the result of my life to be that I get to see you in everything that I do. So I know that we're running long. I, I would love to go in more, but we'll have more discussions about this. Church, you are blessed when you are pure in heart. And the result of that blessing is that you will see God in every aspect of your life. And so I bless you this week to go to prayer and say, like, Lord, I don't know how to do this in myself. I don't know how to make myself more pure or single-mindedly devoted to you. But I want to ask you to help me to be that. Put that in my character. Put that as a priority in my life, to put you above everything else. Because I want to see you, and I want to have more intimacy with you. And I want to see that you've been at work all of this time, and I want to be more like you. So church, city life, blessed are you when you are pure in heart, and you will see God. Jesus promises all that. And so we love you. Church, we'll see you in our MCs this week. We'll see you in our gatherings. Uh, look out for some emails. Look at our social media to see what's going on. Connect with us. We love you. And uh, we'll see each other soon. Have a great week. Bye. <laughs>